Okay, so today we're going to talk about the Word of God. We're, uh, we're in this series where we're looking at a couple keys of the kingdoms that are more of an attitude than they are something we do. Uh, it's, it's, uh, to get the keys of the kingdom working, you have to put the key in the lock and turn it. That's what you have to do with it. But sometimes we don't even know where the keys are. One of the basic key attitudes is the Word of God. We have to understand the value of the Word. So I want to talk about that. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the name of the Lord as being one of those attitude keys. Last week, we talked about the blood of Jesus being one of these attitude keys that we have. Today, we're going to talk about the Word of God. So I want to share... um, Two, two scriptures as springboards. The first is in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, and we're going to look at verse 105. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. In other words, he says, I'm living in a dark world. There's, all, there's chaos all around, insecurities all around, but your word... Your word is a lamp. It shines a light. It's like a flashlight in the darkness. You can't see where you're going, so you trip and you fall and you bump into things. But if you turn the light on, you can see where you are. And he's saying, your word is a lamp to my feet. It guides my path. And the second one I want to share, second springboard scripture, is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 where Moses is reflecting back on what God has done. And he says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You don't live on bread alone. You can't just function in this world like everybody else in the world functions. If you want to live life to the full, if you want to have that abundant life that Jesus promised, you have to have more than what everybody else does. You can't just live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is crucial. So he says, God God led you into trouble. He led you into problems so that he could deliver you. I hope we get a hold of that because that's the key of everything I want to say this morning. He leads us into problems so that he can deliver us and then he gets the glory. I believe he has allowed us to be led into this COVID thing. I don't believe he sent it. I believe he's allowed it to wake the church up. And I think for the most part, the church has slept right through it. And we we pick up the same attitude the rest of the world has. But God wants to show us things. He wants to take this church to a new level. And he had to give us the problem to make us make the changes to move into the future. So let me share seven things in the time we have left here about the Word of God that I want us to grab a hold of because it's, it's like a spiritual key that will open doors. Here's number one. It's a true word. It's true. It's true. It's no wonder we have such a battle accepting it as truth. Satan doesn't want us buying into it because it will set us free. John chapter 17, verse 17. 
Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. What is truth? That's a good question. We all want to know what the truth is. We live in a world that loves to deceive us. They love to spin the truth this way or spin the truth that way. So what is the truth? That's the big question we all should be asking. In Psalm 119, verse 160, he says, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. How long is forever? So when he's made a righteous judgment and he's given it to us in his word, it goes on forever. It's the truth. If there's one thing we can count on, it's the word of God being the truth. Because everything else in this world changes. We've got a truth issue that's a big divider in our country right now. Is Joe Biden trying to steal the election from Donald Trump? Or is Donald Trump trying to steal the election from Joe Biden? What's the truth? Who knows the truth? I say, if you got a case, take it to the courts. Otherwise, zip your lip. If you take it to the courts, it goes before the judge. And the judge makes a determination. And then we'll all know the truth. But no matter what dilemma you're going through, where you need an answer, where there's two sides of a coin, and you're trying to come up with the truth, however you look at it, there is a judge. And you need to tap into the judge. You need to know what the judge says about this. You know who the judge is, right? Okay. It's a true word. Here's the second thing I want us to see about the word of God. It's an ancient word. You know what ancient means? It goes way back to the beginning of time. Ancient. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, get that. In the beginning, way back then, back, way, back, way back in the very beginning of mankind was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jump down to verse 14, same chapter. He says, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is truth. And it's the same, it has the same credibility today as it had back then when God said, Let there be light, and the light came on. It's the same God who created everything that we see around us. It's the same God. He hasn't gotten old and died. He hasn't gotten older and changed and got out of style. He's the same God, and he breathes life into us. And he's the hope that we have. It's the word of God. Ancient word. Old and current at the same time. So when I read these stories in this book, it's an old story, but it speaks life. It is life. 
So I can expect every time I look at these stories, God to speak some kind of life into my life, into my life. It's an ancient word. Here's the third thing. It is an eternal word. It says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Never pass away. Everything I know has changed, but the word of God doesn't change. Won't pass away. It has the same credibility and authority today as it had back then. It's an eternal word. Isaiah 40 verse 8 in the Old Testament says the same thing. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It just goes on. Once God spoke it, he meant it. It's, it's, like, it's like once God spoke it out of his mouth, it went down in the law book. There's a record of that someplace. And God remembers what he said, and he keeps his promises. His promises still stand. Somebody say amen if you believe this. His promises still stand. They're still in effect. So when I read the book, I'm looking for promises. I'm looking for basic principles. What kind of things does God bless, and what kind of things does God curse? And if I do those things, I'm going to be blessed or I'm going to be cursed. So I choose my ways wisely. I'm very careful with what I do. And the good news is the Bible also says you get a second chance. You can have messed up and really blown it big time. And God will forgive you and give you another chance. Isn't that good news? You are not, you are not such a failure that you cannot pick up the pieces and move on. That's such good news. It's an eternal word. It goes on. So the grace of God that was evident in the Old Testament is the same grace of God today. We just base it on different things. The grace we receive today is based on the price Jesus paid on the cross. Paid the price for my sin. That's good news. Here's number four. The fourth thing about the word of God. It's a relatable word. It relates. The Word of God relates to every generation, every culture, down through history. Because mankind is just the same today as it was 2,000, 4,000 years ago. Mankind, nat we're naturally sinners and we need God's favor. We need God's grace. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, listen to this. It says, all Scripture... Everybody say all scripture. all scripture. Say it again. All scripture. Those of you watching at home, you say all, script, all scripture. Say it. All scripture. Everything. That's Old Testament, New Testament, the parts of the Bible that are boring and the parts of the Bible that are exciting. The whole thing. All scripture is God breathed. The word translated breathed here, it, it's the same thing as spirit. It comes from the Greek word pneuma. We get our word pneumatic, pneumonia from that. It means breath. All scripture is spirit. It's God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. As I was preparing this message, the Lord showed me something I had never seen before. Many times I've looked at that scripture in 2 Timothy, and I, I understand that the Apostle Paul, who is the experienced preacher, is writing to young Timothy, who's just beginning, giving him coaching guidelines on how to be a pastor and how to minister to his church. How do you do that? Remember that the Word of God, the Scripture, is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Therefore, if I'm going to be a good pastor, if I'm going to be a good preacher, I need to take the Word of God and I need to apply it into teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness as I, as I do my preaching. And the Lord showed me the Word of God is relatable. It is personal. It speaks to every one of us. And when I read the Word of God, I should be expecting it to teach me something. I should be expecting the Word of God that I read personally to rebuke me, to correct me, to train me in righteousness. It's relatable. It's personal. It speaks to me. And this is why you and I can read one chapter in the Bible and every one of us get something else out of it. Because the Holy Spirit that inspired the writer to write it down is living inside of us and interprets it differently based on what I'm going through, what my needs are right now. God wants to speak. It's His Word. A relatable Word. It's profitable to my life so I can discover how to equip myself for every good work. God sets before me. It's personal. So read the book as something that's personal. It's not just a history lesson about something that somebody said way back then in another time and another culture. It's God's word speaking. God's word. If I, uh, if, if I want to communicate something to you, if I want to communicate a concept or an idea to you, I have to find some means of communicating with you. Now, I was born and raised in Indiana. I speak the Hoosier dialect of English. My, my kids still laugh at me that I say, Washington, wash your hands. They think that's funny. Have great, my grandkids, they really laugh. They really think it's funny. And of course, you know, Grandpa, I play right into it. I put my R in everything, and they really get him going. But if I wanted to say something to you, I would have to say it using words you would understand or some terminology you would understand. So here's God up in heaven, and he wants to communicate how we, can, how we should live our lives down here. But I don't understand God's language. I only understand English and a, a wee bit of German and a wee bit of Spanish. But God wants to communicate to me in terminology I will understand. So how did he do that? He sent his son, a human being, born into this earth, born as a human, who would understand our kind of hurts, our kind of grievances, our kind of suffering, our kind of problems and difficulties. Jesus went through everything that we went through. Amen. He understands all these things. And he's our mediator. 
So when I read about the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I read about how he handled difficult people, how he handled difficult situations, how he dealt with hopeless situations. When I read about this in the Gospels, this is God's Word. He is expressing himself to me. God's In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was made flesh and lived among us. That's Jesus Christ, it's the Word of God. He's the expression of God's thought. He is it. It's a relatable word. Let's look at number five, the fifth thing. It's a sure word. Sure. Isaiah 55 verse 11 says, So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That tells me that if I ask God to use me as a communication tool and speak through me, I can't preach a bad sermon. No matter how bad I fumble around, no matter how bad I say the wrong thing, I can't preach a bad sermon because his word will not return void. Something's going to happen. It's going to be like a seed planted in soil and it's going to begin to grow. It's going to begin to blossom. It's going to take root and grow. His word will not return empty. Notice he says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. God's making a personal statement about himself. When his word goes out, it's like a seed planted. Now, what would happen if I never put myself in a place to have the seed planted? You know, we we all know that that the word of God should have a prominent place in our life. That doesn't mean the coffee table. That means down inside your heart. That means get the word down inside. Get these seeds planted. Every time we read the word, we should be looking for seeds that can be planted. What might God be saying to me as I'm reading through this story? What might he be saying to me that relates to my situation, my life, my family issues? It's a sure word. It will not return empty. God's got confidence that when we read it, When we hear it, it's going to be established down in us. It's a sure word. Okay, here's number six. It's a spiritual word. John chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. God's word is spirit, therefore it's life. So when I read this book, I need to see it as spiritual communication. When a lot of people read this book, they're looking for it to feed their soul. But these words are spirit. They feed the inner man down deep on the inside, not just our head. It's not, sometimes these principles of God are not logical. How can God condemn sin and yet love the sinner? 
How can he do that? It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute in our human mind. But it's the truth. It's spiritual. If God can get this seed of his eternal love down in the heart of somebody who's been a wicked sinner, he can change their heart. Change the heart, changes the mind, change the mind, change the life. God's at work with that. James chapter 1 verse 22 says something similar. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It requires some action. When, when God talks about how he loves us and we're supposed to love one another, I wonder what that might mean about my current situation. When God says I'm supposed to forgive someone that's offended me, I wonder what he expects me to do with that. See, let the word of God speak life to us. Let the word of God speak to our spiritual man, not just our head. It requires some kind of action from us. Here's, here's number seven. I'm getting to the end. This is my last point. It's an encouraging word. Encouraging word. Romans chapter 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The word of God should encourage us. Every time we look at it, well, let, let's, just, let's just ask this question. Why, why is it so important for me to know what God did in somebody else's life? Very simple. It lets me know how God might work in my life. When I hear someone else's story, this is why we read the book. And people can say, oh, oh, come on, Pastor Deal. I don't believe that story about the big fish. God created one big fish to swallow a man. He lived three days in the belly of that, of that fish. I just can't, I can't swallow that. That's just too big, a, too big a whopper for me. Or, I'm sorry, Pastor, I just can't believe that three men were walking around in a fiery furnace and they weren't burned up. I just, I just can't believe that. Listen to me. It's his word. It's his word. I don't care if it really did happen or it didn't happen. When I read about those three men walking in the fiery furnace, that tells me God will protect me when I'm walking in my fiery furnace. When, when, I, when I read about God doing some miracle... I'm not trying to, I don't want to explain away the miracle. What I want to do is I want to say, what are you saying to me, God? I hope God doesn't ask me to walk on the water. I mean, I, I, I would rather not have my faith tested like that. But what do I learn from Peter walking on the water? I learn that the word of God says God will hold me up no matter what kind of shifting sand I find myself going through. Maybe that story of the walls falling down at Jericho is to tell me that God will bring walls down in my life. Maybe the story of Moses stretching out his rod over the sea and the sea parting, maybe that big story is in there to let me know God's going to part any kind of obstacle that comes up in my life. He's going to remove it. Maybe the story of David standing up against Goliath, the giant, and taking him down, 
Maybe that story is recorded so that I'll realize no giant that ever raises up in my life can't come down. It wasn't David that killed him. It was the stone that killed him. And only God could guide that stone between the sling and between his eyes. Maybe these stories are there for a reason. Maybe it's because God wants to teach us what he's saying. He wants to speak to us about what kind of a miracle-working God he is and how he wants to work in our life. Maybe that's the reason they're there. And if I don't read this, this book and let these seeds get planted, I lost. God's word did return void. So what I want to challenge you, church, is get the book out dust it off. One of the things I did in the early days of my life is one of the best things I did. I was in a Christian training center, two-year junior Bible college. I, in a year's time, I read completely through this book. I devoured it. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do anything else. I just consumed it. I sat down. I made notes in the margins. I had a highlighter over here. I had a pen over there. I underlined things. I was studying this book. Now that was the old King James Version. Red letter edition. And I'm well aware that people aren't going to read 1611 Old English King James Version. They're just not going to do it. So I've, I've, I had to change my gears. I stopped preaching out of the King James Version. I still read out of it. I still study it. still love it. It's my native language. But I've learned, I've had to, I got to speak New International Version or something else. New American Standard. I got to use some modern English. So I want to encourage you, get a version that you can read and understand. And don't start in Genesis. Amen. Start in the Gospel of John. Yes. You can work your way to Genesis. You ought to read Genesis. There's a whole lot of good stuff in there. But start in the Gospel of John, because the theme there is this is why Jesus came. He came so we would believe. This is why we should believe. These are the things that happened to make us believers. So get into the book. Get into the book. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will open our eyes to the spiritual truth that God has recorded in this book and preserved for all these years for a reason. It's, it's no wonder that when communism came into a country to take over, one of the first things they wanted to do is confiscate all the Bibles. Why would they do that? Because the Bible tells us to trust in God. And in a communistic spirit, you have to trust the system. You have to rely on the system, on the governmental system. You cannot have anything else. So they want to hide the Bibles. It's no wonder because God knows how important this is. Satan knows how important this is. So church, let's get into the word. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters that you will give us a hunger, give us a passion to get into your word and read between the lines and let every phrase, every thought that comes out, let it speak to us, God. Let it build up our faith. Let us build up our confidence. Teach us on what we should do and what we should stop doing, Father, out of your word. We want your word to be life to us. We want it to be spirit-led, uh, spirit God. So we want to open ourselves up to it. I pray the power of your spirit works through us, in us, every time we get into your word.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.